today. Also, uh, on that note of special offerings, we do have our 2022 special offering brochure, uh, just like in the past where we've listed them out. Kind of, you'll have an idea of when we're going to be promoting it, when we're going to be taking the offering. Sorry. All right. Sorry for that interruption. <laughs> but if you have not uh, gotten one of these uh, brochures, please be sure to pick one up in the back. Uh, this is we do this so that you can be praying about it. And, you know, you can be planning for it, budgeting for it, whatever you need to do. You'll be aware of all the special offerings that we're going to take up this year and at the times that we're going to take them up. So I hope that that is a good resource for you. It was for me last year to just kind of try and stay on track. All right. Uh, men, February 5th, there is a prayer breakfast at uh, Abundant Life Church in Thorpe. That's going to be at 9 a.m. That is for your section, uh, section 4. So please make plans to go and and fellowship with the other men in our section also ladies it's i know it's in may it's it's four months away but we have ladies retreat coming up and we do have the placard or the little cards back there it has all the information what types of rooms the cost um, and sister parker just let us know today that the registrations are coming in and you, we want to make sure if we want to go, we're going to have to get our rooms reserved uh, sooner rather than later. We don't want to be in the far building or without a room at all. So be uh, mindful of that. If you want to get together and do the three rooms together, like the two queens, the king, and the, the two queens on the side, let me know and we can get that reserved because we'll need to make that reservation at this the one time and designate that that's what we want. Otherwise, we're going to be separated. <laughs> also, men, there is prayer here on February 12th at 8 a.m., and our annual business meeting will follow that at 9 a.m. Hallelujah. <clears throat> who is this who for our sorrows offers comfort and relief? Bringing sunshine to the dark and shadowed life. Saying softly, cease repining, lift thy soul above its grief. Let the peace past understanding still the strife. It is Jesus, Jesus, sad one, weep no more. He will heal the brokenhearted, open wide the prison doors. He is able to deliver evermore. Who is this to come with healing for the halt, the blind, the lame? Saying softly to the sinner, follow me. Only come in faith, believing as of old the people came and the shall walk the blind again shall see it is jesus jesus said one weep 
no more. He will heal the brokenhearted, open wide the prison door. He is able to deliver evermore. Who is this who loves a sinner as the Father loves his own? Bring over those gentle plea, always ready to forgive them and to make forgiveness known. Who is this forever calling you and me? It is Jesus, Jesus, that one weep no more. He will heal the brokenhearted, open wide the prison door. He is able to deliver evermore. It is Jesus, Jesus, that one weep no more. He will heal the brokenhearted, open wide the prison doors. He is able to deliver evermore. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Uh, Brother DeMuth, I apologize. If I don't have it written down, I forget. I remembered after I started this song, so if you want to. Go ahead and come on up. Praise God. I just wanted to talk to everybody real briefly about North American missions. And uh, this is kind of in dovetailing with the Christmas for Christ. You can be seated this morning. Christmas for Christ offering, as Sister Becker already said, is due today. Uh, And... But I just wanted to talk to you about NAM. What, what is NAM? North American Missions, right? And the thought that keeps coming to my mind over and over again, we think of NAM and Christmas for Christ, and, okay, we've got to get this offering in. Okay, now we're done. We don't have to think about NAM anymore, right? No. What about foreign missions? Yeah, we give our foreign mission offering, and then we just kind of put it behind us. Like, I'm done with that for this year. I can check that off my little... My little sheet. But, you know, those missionaries work year-round. They, they, they're they there in the field. Those, You know, we had Mike Adams here, and I was so glad I got to hear him online. That was when my wife and I were in lockdown. But what an awesome, awesome message that he spoke in here that day. And we really got to hear what it's really like. I mean, the down and dirty, what it's really like. All those dogs, Sister Becker, and that motorhome. Motor <laughs> But that's that's real. That's what it's NAM happens three hundred and sixty five days a year in Monaco, Wisconsin. And and they're yeah, they got a new building, but there's that's not gonna come without struggles. That's not gonna come without stresses and, and life's gonna come at them and and God lets those things happen. So we can't just forget now that we've given our offering to NAM that and Christmas for Christ that I'm done with that and I don't have to think about that anymore. Because what if God calls you? to be a North American missionary. Like the ones we have down in Stoughton that are in their 70s starting a church. So don't sit here in this congregation and think God won't call me to start a church. 
Because he will. He's just looking for somebody that's ready, willing, and able, and available to do what he calls them. Because if he calls you to do it, isn't he going to equip you to do that? Now, I'm sure I don't, I'm not 78 yet, but I can find, I can imagine myself being 78 and thinking, really? <laughs> I thought I was retired, God. Don't you know I'm at retirement age? <laughs> like God doesn't know, right? But we got, we got to remember that, that, that God is, has called these people and he's calling other people. I'll never forget a, a, a preacher that had been made a, a regional home missions director in, in the northeast of this country, and he took a drive one day up into the you know Maine and all those areas, and he kept driving through town after town, and he's just weeping and crying, just saying, God, why isn't there any churches in these cities and these towns, and what's wrong? And God spoke to him and said, I've called men, but they wouldn't go. And that grieved him even more. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss God calling me to go do something somewhere. I don't want to just write off the possibility and just say, well, it's just meant for somebody else. It's, he'll never do that for me. I don't want to ever say that. And so we just got to be prepared. And, and so this year there's, a, there's an effort that's being put forth, and it's called The Next Town. The Next Town. And so the United Pentecostal Church International is, is taking NAM to another level. How many towns can you think of around us right here that don't have a church? West Salem, Sparta. We could just go on and on, all the way down 35, south, going toward the south part of the state. Stoddard. There's, there's several places around here that don't have a church, not even a preaching point, not even a a group getting together to talk about the Bible. And so God could be calling one of you. He could be dealing with you, and you, I don't even know it. And so we got to be listening for the voice of God in this last day because we are in the last days. And so, as our pastor has already brought out several times, that we may get to the point where we can't have church in this building. If things just start going really south and sideways in this country, what are we going to do? How are we going to have church? We're still the church. The church is not a building. It's, it's people gathering together. It just says in that scripture, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, well, you could be gathered together in Walmart. Or up at the family restaurant. You can be gathered together anywhere in somebody's home. He's going to be in the midst. People are going to feel the presence and power of God. When we walk into a restaurant, we've, we take the power and presence of God with us. And people don't understand what they're feeling, but they know they feel something. And so the last thing I just wanted to let you know that there is... The Wisconsin NAM has their own website now. It's called www.winam.faith. And so if you find yourself thinking about things like that, even if you, if you want to find out what's, what's going on in NAM, if you never feel like God's ever going to call you anywhere, go, ahead, go to that website and check it out. It's very, it was done very well. Every possible thing that a NAM missionary could want, every form to fill out, everything that they need is right there on that website. Amen? 
And so don't don't forget about Mike Adams and Patty Adams. Don't forget about these NAM missionaries. Don't forget about these cities around here, Whitehall and 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 all these cities around here that don't have a church. And and here in Wisconsin, we are targeting I think 11 11 cities slash counties county seats with an effort to try and it's ultimately God that's going to do it because he he is the one that adds to the church daily such as should be saved so let's keep that in prayer let's not just give our NAM offering our CFC offering and forget about it we need to keep this you know fresh in our mind that's why we have those pictures of those missionaries back there to remind us every time we go up and down those stairs, they still need our prayers. They might not have our money, but they still need our prayers. And if you don't have one, there's a there's a card in the back that's got all the current NAM missionaries. I think there might be one more than that. But if you need something to just stick on your mirror at home or on your refrigerator, take that home and just stick it there. And remember to pray for those NAM missionaries. I heard an old, old story, how the Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. And all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing. How he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal this broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. And he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion. He has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. 
And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. How And cause the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. And about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. And he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Hallelujah. Thank you for victory. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, you have made us overcomers. You have made us victorious. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Oh, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we know that we will be meeting you soon, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. As I journey through the land, singing as I go, pointing souls to Calvary, to the crimson flow. Many arrows pierced my soul from without within. But my Lord leads me on, through him I must win. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. When in service for my Lord, dark may be the night. But I'll cling more close to him, he will give me light. Satan's snares may vex my soul, turn my thoughts aside. But my Lord goes ahead, leads wherever he ties. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. When in valleys low I look toward the mountain height, and behold my Savior there, leading in the fight, with a tender hand outstretched, Toward the valley low, guiding me, I can see as I onward go. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. When before me billows rise from the mighty deep, then the Lord directs my bark, he doth safely keep. And he leads me gently on through this world below. He's a real friend to me. Oh, I love him so. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last ever to rejoice. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face.
There to sing forever of His saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you excited to see Him? Praise God. I want to see Him, not through a glass darkly, but face to face. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so looking forward to that day, that glorious day. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. When we enter into our reward, when we hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. What an awesome, awesome God we serve. So worthy of worship. So worthy of praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. He is an awesome, amazing, wondrous, glorious God. He is our God. And He identifies with us. And we identify with Him. Praise God. He is our all in all. He is our exceeding great reward. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful for Him. I'm so thankful for what He's done in my life. I can't imagine any other life. I can't imagine where I'd be if I hadn't heard this great and precious truth. The opportunity hadn't been afforded me to say yes to Jesus. He is so good to us. Praise God. Amen. I apologize for that uh, little fiasco there earlier. That was all my fault. I didn't notify my wife that Brother Vermouth was going to come up here. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get it going here. <laughs> Amen. That was all me. I apologize. Esther 414. That's where we'll take our scripture text. Esther 414. <clears throat> Esther is between the book of Habakkuk and the book of opinions. <laughs> Esther 4.14 says this, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? We'll be speaking for a few minutes this morning on this topic. No peace with Amalek. No peace with Amalek. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. I'm so thankful for what you've done thus far in your service. We continue to submit ourselves to your perfect will and plan for us. We continue to look to you, to hear your voice, to feel your touch, feel you moving. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would submit ourselves to your will, that you would accomplish all of your heart in this place this morning. These things we ask in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Those of you that are paying attention to current affairs, current events, uh, President Biden has, in the recent past, uh, established a foreign policy for Russia that if they invaded the Ukraine, that there would be a heavy price to pay. That would be considered an, an invasion. More recently, he kind of clarified what he meant by that. He kind of backpedaled a little bit. Said, well, we got to take it on a case-by-case basis. You know, if it's just a small incursion, you know, we'll, we'll respond differently. And so, President Biden, and I'm not, I'm not standing up here to criticize the president or, or to support the president's policy. I'm not, that's not the point. The point is, he was really hard on Russia until he wasn't. We see that a lot uh, in history. We see that a lot probably in our own lives. We were hard on some things. We were dead set against something or dead set for something. And as time goes on, situations change and we reevaluate our position on certain things. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's okay to, uh, to reevaluate our position on certain things. Uh, because as we grow older and hopefully a little wiser, uh, positions do change. But when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to truth, our positions ought not ever change. If it was true when I first got saved, it's true today. It will always be true. If it's worth fighting for then, it's worth fighting for now. Amen. So our positions on certain things... Yeah, they are going to change. But our positions on truth, our positions on doctrine, cannot change. It must not ever change. We cannot backpedal. We cannot take any steps back. We cannot give ground to these things. These are hills that we need to be prepared to die on. Amen. If we look through history, we find a man named Abraham. And if we start moving forward, we see that Abraham had a son called Isaac. And as we keep moving forward, we see that Isaac had two sons, one named Esau, one named Jacob. Typically, I would preach on Jacob, but not today. Today, we're going to look at Esau just ever so slightly, because he had a son named Eliphaz. And Eliphaz had a son named Amalek. Amalek grew up to be a mighty man, and by the time of the Exodus, his descendants had grown into quite a powerful nation. We know them as the Amalekites. The Amalekites, from their very earliest dealings with Israel, stood against him, resisted him, fought against him, hated him. The Amalekites were never friendly toward Israel. The Amalekites were never allies of Israel. They were always enemies, always against Israel. The Amalekites fought against Israel in the wilderness at Rephidim. Joshua led Israel against him, and he prevailed as long as Moses kept his hands raised. 
We know that Aaron and her was up there supporting the hands of Moses so that they could prevail against Amalek. In Exodus chapter 17, verses 13 through 16, we read this. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, Because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, if I may, this doesn't sound like a God of mercy. This does not sound like a God of salvation. A God of patience and compassion. This sounds like a God that hates Amalek. This sounds like a God that is going to have his vengeance on the Amalekites. Please understand, God hasn't changed. He's demonstrating a principle to us here. The Old Testament is given for our admonition. It's given for our example, for spiritual things that we encounter and experience today. Here God gives His people a new covenant name, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner, that He is our general, that He is the captain of the hosts of Israel, that He is a warrior, that He is a, uh, he is a man, He is a God of war. Amen. There are a lot of aspects about God that we like to think of, that we like to preach on. Him being a God of war is not necessarily my first choice either. But nevertheless, He is a God of war. And He will have war against His enemies. We are going to reestablish that fact uh, in a few other areas before this message is done. He is all of these other things. He is a God of mercy, a God of compassion. In this present dispensation, He is the God of grace. And as long as grace is available, whosoever will can come and receive salvation. Whosoever will. God's enemies are not people. Here God swears that He would be forever the enemy of Amalek. Let's fast forward in time to the reign of King Saul. God commands Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites. The time has come for God's judgment to ensue for what he did to the nation of Israel at Rephidim. God remembers what they did to Israel. And he is going to have his vengeance. He is going to establish justice. So he tells King Saul, utterly destroy the Amalekites. Leave nothing left remaining. Slay everything. Man, women, children, beasts, all of it is to be destroyed. In 1 Samuel 15, verses 2 and 3, this is the command. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Destroy everything. 
Now again, keep in mind, God's enemies today are not people. God's enemies are Satan, the kingdom of darkness, his kingdom, just like our enemies are. Our enemies are not people. But he is demonstrating a principle to us here. God command, his command was to utterly destroy the nation of the Amalekites from off the face of the earth. There will be no mercy shown to the Amalekites. You are to utterly destroy them. There was to be no one and no thing spared. Everything and everyone was to be destroyed. God's command is that our enemy is not to be spared. No mercy, no quarter, asked or given. God will have war against his enemies. 1 Samuel 15, the account continues in verse 8. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. And we know the result of that. That King Saul was rejected by God from that point forward from being king of Israel. God's spirit departed from King Saul. Why? Not just because he disobeyed. Not just because of that. But the the way he disobeyed and the act that he disobeyed in is that he refused to destroy the enemies of God. He refused to go to war against the enemies of God. Now, he fought against them, but half-heartedly. We're going to see later that there's all kinds of Amalekites left alive. And that crime was so heinous in God's sight that he utterly rejected Saul. Not from just being king, but he departed from him. The enemies of God are our enemies, and I know, church, I know you're tired of hearing this. I'm tired of preaching it. But this is all God is giving me. His enemies are our enemies. Let's look for a moment on how God deals with His enemies. How does God respond? How does God deal with His enemies? He shows no mercy. He shows no compassion. He is going to have war with them until they are utterly consumed. We see the failure of King Saul when it comes to the time of David. Let's jump to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Verse 1 and 2 says this, It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south. And Ziklag and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. There are a lot of sermons preached on Ziklag. We have Ziklags in our life, and, and how to respond when we're in the middle of our Ziklag. 
as King David, as, as David did. But Ziklag would have never taken place if it were not for the failure of Saul to respond in kind. Understand that. There would be no Ziklag if Saul had obeyed the voice of the Lord. If the Amalekites were destroyed, he never would have had to go through that. This is a direct result of Saul's disobedience and his failure to respond properly to the enemies of God. Please understand that. We see David's response to the enemy. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters, I can imagine so. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. This is God answering, Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. David went to the Lord, and he received an answer from him that he was to pursue hard after the enemy, and that if he would do this, God would give him victory. He'd get back everything the enemy took from him. What's our response when the enemy comes and takes from us, steals and kills and destroys? What's our response to the enemy? We like to have a pity party. We like to sit and sulk for a little while and explain to God all that we've done for Him, all that we've sacrificed. And now all of these things are come upon me. (laughs) I'm just speaking from experience. What should our response be? We'll pray through that. We'll get right. But then kind of a resignation settles in. Well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it's going to be. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. That's true. He does give. He does take away. And that's His prerogative. It's His to give. It's His to take. However, when the enemy comes and takes from us, the proper response is to go get it back. Seek God. Get direction from God. And if He says go, you go. Go to war against the enemy. Get back what He took. And not just that, we read later that David not only recovered what was taken, but everything the enemy had on top of that. He spoiled the enemy. God turned that major defeat into a huge victory by one simple response. The enemy comes at me, I'm going to go against him. We are not to sit back and take it. There are some things we need to endure. I get that. But the harassment of the enemy is not something we need to endure. 
Him speaking into our, our ear is not something we need to tolerate. Him coming against and taking stuff, taking our families, harassing our families, our church, doing stuff to the saints of God, that's not something we have to endure or tolerate. Not one second. Our response ought to be go and pursue. Take back what He took. Moving forward in time, we come to Mordecai and Esther. Most of us know the account. The queen was not a good queen to the king. So she was replaced by Esther. Queen Esther. Mordecai was faithful to the king. He was a Jew. He would not bow to Haman, who was an Amalekite. Perhaps a descendant of Agag. Scholars are kind of here and there on that. But he was an Amalekite. He would not bow to Haman. He would not give reverence to Haman according to the king's command. Now, this brings up an interesting question. The king's command was that all of his subjects were to bow before Haman. Yes? That's what the Scriptures tell us. Mordecai disobeyed that command. Was he right? Was he wrong? At what point are we allowed to disobey our government. Now this, this kind of talk gets onto to thin ice. I understand that. But it's a valid question. We've spoken. We've heard other people speak on the fact that these are weird and interesting times. We have not been this way heretofore. And so... The government is throwing down legislation, writing into effect edicts that affect us personally, that affect us as a church. And if the Lord wills, I'll probably talk on this at some point in the future. But just for now, a question. At what point do we have the right, the authority to disobey our lawful authorities. Something to consider. Something to pray about. In any case, Mordecai decided that this was that time. And whether we think we're, he was right or wrong, apparently God thought he was okay. Should we submit to the enemy so that we can have peace? If Mordecai would have submitted to the edict of the king and bowed before Haman, probably, maybe, all would have been well. 
Haman would have never responded the way he did. In fact, it could be argued, I don't know how well, but it could be argued, that this is all Mordecai's fault. He'd have just done what he was supposed to do. Haman would have never come against the Jews. None of that would have ever happened. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? God knows. But the fact of the matter is, Mordecai responded how he felt proper, and Haman responded the way he did. He wanted to destroy every Jew he could find because of one Jew, Mordecai. We read earlier that uh, in the Chronicles of the King, Mordecai comes up as saving the king's life. There was a plot to kill him. Two of the king's chamberlains were plotting to destroy the king. Mordecai came and let it be known. And it saved the king's life. So Haman comes up with his grand plan. Get the king to sign an edict. And the laws of the Medes and Persians were such that they could not be rescinded. Not even by the king. Once they were signed into law, that was it. It stayed. And no matter what the king wanted to do after that, it was too late. So he signs this into law. That on such and such a date, the Jews would be attacked and destroyed. This comes to Mordecai. And he sends correspondence to Esther. You got to go to the king. You got to talk to the king about this. And Esther, it's like, I can't. He hasn't called me. We all know this account. He hasn't called me in a month. If I go in without being called, he can destroy me. <laughs> and Mordecai is like, you're going to be destroyed anyway. you got nothing to lose here. If you don't go, God is going to save his people from somewhere. Salvation's coming from someone. Just not through you. And because you could have acted, but didn't, your house will be destroyed. But we'll be saved alive. Let me again stress the importance of proper response to the enemy. Proper response to God's enemies. God's enemies are your enemies. They are your enemies. They are also God's enemies. And God is going to have war with them. There will be no peace between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. There will be no peace. There will be war. And that is it. Until Jesus wins. Until he establishes absolute dominion over the enemy. Once and for all. There is going to be war between us and the kingdom of darkness. And no matter what you do, and no matter how much you hope 
or pray or cower or bury your head in the sand. The war is continuing as it has since the beginning. You can ignore it. You can try to avoid it. But it's there. You can choose to not respond when the enemy comes knocking. You can just sit there and take it and hope he goes away. But if I may be so bold, God despises that kind of an attitude. We see it demonstrated here in Scripture. When Saul fails to act in kind against his enemies, God rejected him. When Esther decides that she's not going to go in to save her own hide, Mordecai explains the situation. Your family, your, your father's house is going to be destroyed. But the Jews will be saved alive. Understand, church. Understand. Again. I know that You know, I never heard this stuff when I was in the Lutheran church. I never heard this kind of talk. I mean, we had an old German Lutheran minister when I was younger, and I used to like listening to him preach. I used to, he was pretty forceful. He was pretty, uh, pretty direct. And uh, I, I liked that. I appreciated that. But the messages themselves, they weren't really substantive. I mean, they were encouraging and edifying and you know, they were scriptural and all of that stuff. Uh, it's just that not really applicable, I guess. Not, not something that I could use. <clears throat> and when I got into a Pentecostal church, an apostolic church, the preaching was way different. It was quite a bit more substantive. But it was directed at the times that we were in. God was speaking to the generation that we were a part of at the time. If I may, that generation is gone. It's past. This is a new time that we're in now. These are different times, and they call for different Responses, they call for God is speaking to His church differently. And He did in times past, perhaps. These are the end times. The time is so very short. If I can point to any one thing that lets me know that, it's the activity of the enemy. You may not believe that our time is short, but I'm convinced that he does. 
he believes his time is short. That's why this flurry of activity, this huge push to the end. Submitting to the peace, uh, submitting to the enemy will not give peace. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin <coughs> said one time, if you're willing to trade your freedom for safety, you'll have neither. And you deserve neither. <coughs> God has come to give liberty to give freedom. And the more we're, we're willing to surrender to the enemy so that he'll just leave me alone. Folks, let's, let's argue best case scenario for a moment. You surrender what he's wanting you to surrender and he does leave you alone. Now you have peace. Where does that leave you? Where do you go from there? What are you going to do for God after that? According to these scriptures that I'm looking at, God's not going to bless that. In fact, if He responds the same way, He's going to remove Himself from you. And you're going to be useless in the kingdom of God. Except we repent and get right with God and see things as He sees them. Get His heart buried in our chest. God's heart is war. God's not going to submit. Are you kidding me? Who is God going to submit to? Who is God going to bend the knee to? You've got to be out of your mind if you think He's going to do that. And we shouldn't either. We are His children. We are not going to submit to anyone either but God. We submit to Jesus Christ. We do not submit to the enemy. We do not give ground to Him, not one inch. But in times past, the enemy will come and ask for just a little bit, and we'll give it to him. And he'll go away for a season, then we'll give him just a little bit more. And he'll go away for a season. And he comes against us from another direction, and we fall back. And he pushes a little harder, and we fall back, and we keep giving ground to the enemy. Look what he's doing today. The freedom that he operates in today. If that can be laid at anyone's feet, it's the church. It can be laid at our feet. Who else has the authority, the ability to go out and fight against the enemy? The world's not going to. The world's in league with him. That's his world system.
in the scripture text. Mordecai tells Esther, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? I have from time to time lamented the time period that I was born in. For one reason or another, when I was in high school, I was wishing I would have been born 50 or 100 years later. See the technological advancements. I'm a techie guy. I like gadgets. Think of what they're going to have in 100 years to the Lord, Terry. Boy, that'd be cool. That'd be fun. And as I got a little bit older, I got into church. I saw even then the, the moral decline. I was wanting to be born 100, 150 years earlier. <clears throat> Harder life, for sure. <laughs> no techie. Anything. Maybe a steel plow. It's as techly as we're going to get. <clears throat> but morals were quite a bit more solid. Communities were more solid. But then I begin to realize I'm in the time period I am for a reason. God placed me here. And who knoweth if not for such a time as this? All of us are here for that very purpose, that very reason. God knows when the end is for sure. We guess, we believe, we I think it's a good reasonable statement to say that we're in the end times, but I don't know 100%. God does. He knows absolutely when he's coming back. <clears throat> but what if he chose us to be a part of the last generation? To be the last people before he comes and raptures his church? What if we're the people that are not going to see death? But we get raptured. That's going to be quite a time. Quite a time period. We will, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of heaven. To be sure. If these are the end times. They are going to be wrought with peril. And as long as I believe that we're in the end times, church, I will not cease to warn us. Get ready. Do what we're supposed to do. Be who we are supposed to be. We are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. The Lord has entrusted us with these last days. We are in the situation we're in. We can lay the blame at the church, at the enemy, at the presidents, at whoever you want to lay it at. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. 
because we are where we are. And if we're going to move forward from this place, we need to acknowledge this is where we're at. This is the conditions that we're living in. Can God operate in these conditions? Absolutely He can. He sure can. And He will. He is condition independent. Condition agnostic. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if I'm going through a hard time or an easy time. He can move just the same. I care. And it may matter to me whether I grow or not, whether I'm in an easy or hard condition. But for God to move or not move, He's independent of all that. He's having a great time. He's having a successful, victorious time. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but God sure is. He's always victorious. He's always successful. And He wins in the end. Stay with the Packers, Brother Bob. They always win in the end. (laughs) God always wins. He always wins. And He's going to win in the end. Stick in the church. Stay in the church. Keep doing the will of God. Fight against God's enemies. He's going to have war. Let's have war. If that's God's plan, if that's God's will, then let's go all in with it. Don't tip your toe in the water and see if it's okay. It's okay. Jump in. Jump into the deep end. If that's where God's putting you, go all in. Fight. Have victory. Let God work and move through you as He desires. God is going to have war with Amalek. Don't make peace with Him. Don't compromise with Him. Don't listen to what He has to say. Don't consider what, he, what His desires are. Well, you know, you're misunderstanding me here. What I really want is just a little of this. I'm fine. I'm fine. We can, we can work this out. There is no working it out with the enemy. Don't listen to what he has to say. Don't make peace with him. Don't make a league with him. Joshua did that one time, and he regretted it. He made a league with someone. He didn't consult God first. And they were a thorn in their side from that point forward. Don't ever make a league with the enemy. Don't ever do it. He comes to you wanting to, wanting to make an agreement. If you do this, I'll do that. Shut up. He has no business talking with you. Your enemies. Treat him as such. I promise you, despite his words and his, his angel of light visage, he's going to treat you as such. He treats you like the enemy. He hates you. He despises you. He wants you dead. Give him the same consideration. He's not people. He's the enemy. People are not the enemy. The enemy uses people. But God saves people. God delivers people from the enemy. When it comes to spiritual warfare, we need to be active. 
We need to be vigilant. We need to be trained. And we need to be fearless. When it comes to people, we need to be loving and merciful and pray daily for their salvation. They're pawns just like you were, just like I was. They don't know any better. They speak, they know not what. We've been set free. We know better. You were handpicked by God Himself for this time, for this place. And you were built from the ground up to establish His kingdom here on earth, to accomplish His will in these last days. Let's all stand. Let's all come to the front for a time. Let's have a season of prayer. Let's let the Lord speak to us. Let's let Him minister to us. This is, in my consideration, the most important part of the service. Everything else leads up to this. Let's spend some time with Jesus. If you've 